the psalmist said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart unto wisdom. The reason we number our days is not just so, wow, look at me, I've lived longer than anybody else, or this is where I'm at. The reason we number our days is to apply our heart to wisdom. And we live in a society that doesn't like to think about the end of our days. The reality is, death is very real. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. So, number our days that we may apply our heart unto wisdom. Imagine with me that a wealthy man were to give you $1,440 a day to spend. And he put these stipulations on it, that you cannot save it, You cannot hoard it. At the end of each day, what was not spent would be lost. The same sum would arrive every day in your life until the end of your life. And then at the end of that, an accounting would be made of what was done with the sum of it. Well, we might say, wow, $1,440 a day that it has to be spent and invested, I can do that. But there would come a point in time that you would probably struggle with, how am I going to spend this? So he said it can't be invested, it can't be stored up, it can't be put in a 401k. He said, I wouldn't anyway right now at this time anyway. So um, at any rate, this is really what God does with us every day He gives every one of us 1,440 minutes every day. And we have the opportunity to invest them. We we use them. And at the end of the day, we can't store up minutes from yesterday for today. We, We can't hoard them. At the end of the day, they're gone. And each day until our last day, we get... 1,440 minutes that He entrusts to us. This is a great, great gift that He gives to us. And every day we decide what we're going to do with these precious minutes. And when life is over, um, we have an accounting to do. I can remember my dad quoting this little, I don't know if it's a poem or a little ditty numerous times, and it It is by a man by the name of Benjamin B. E. Mays. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. And what, what? A great, great message is in that. And Paul had been writing to the church at Colossae, and he comes down to them, and he's making his concluding remarks. And in verse 5 he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And then he goes on and he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. In Ephesians, he used a very similar, and, and we're seeing... He writes the same things to these people, these believers, these churches. In Ephesians, he said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
And, and it's interesting, the, the redeeming is to make the most of every opportunity, to take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way in, in the context of the section that he's speaking, and we'll touch on it later, it refers to take advantage of every opportunity to share the gospel, to present the gospel. So he's saying, I want you to redeem the time. And from this small passage, we want to look at some ways that he instructed them and instructs us today how we can be redeeming the time, regardless of where you are on the spectrum. I mean, our time may end today as believers if the Lord were to to return today. Our time may end today if our heart stops beating or if we're in an accident or whatever. But every day we get the gift of time that He gives us. It's, as the little poem says, forced upon me. I didn't choose it. I didn't seek it. But it's up to me to use it. You know, many times in our life we get all upset about things out of our control and we don't take control over things under our control. And one of the things that is under our control is our use of time. And if you want to avoid conviction, don't, don't look at how you invest your time. But most of us waste a lot of time. And he's saying, redeem the time, buy it back. This is an opportunity that's been given to you. And take it and invest it, use it. And, and he gives us instructions how to do that. So we want to look at that today. Our time is very, very important. It's, a, it's very, very precious. It's something that we need to, to use wisely. And to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity that God has given us for good, he tells us, first of all, in verse 2, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Number one, to redeem the time, we need to talk to God. I, I read this last week and, it, and it, it just hit me. The statement was, prayer is the most important speech that your mouth will ever utter. The most important speech your mouth will ever utter is talking to God. Because it is in talking to God that you seek forgiveness and confess your sin and call upon Jesus Christ. That's prayer. It's in talking to God that we get the resources of God to be at work in our lives. It's in talking to God that we can get help for others. It's in talking to God that we cast all our care upon Him and He cares for us. It's in talking to God that we come to know the very heart of God and and it is important for us to realize that it is in talking to God that it is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If we really believe that we need to redeem the time and we really believe that prayer is the most important work we can do with our mouth, we would talk to God. And the terminology that he uses in this passage fits in with what we find in many other passages of Scripture. Ephesians 6, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
It says, pray without ceasing. In Luke 21, he says, pray always. And in Acts chapter 6, it says of the early church, they gave themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So it is, it is a communion with God. It is a um, being on praying ground, if you please. That there's not a hesitancy. Something comes up and we're going to God and we're, we're addressing God for supplies, for wisdom, for strength, for direction. We commit all our ways unto Him. But it also bears the term, the term that Paul used here is a term that means to courageously persist in prayer, to hold fast in, in the sense that, that Jacob wrestled with God and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. It is, it is not just flippantly praying a little prayer and going your way. It is saying, God, I am totally dependent on you. And as the widow in Luke 18, I am going to keep coming to you. And I'm going to keep coming to you. And I am going to persist and continue and wrestle in prayer before you. It's, it's easy for us to get that um, prayer is, is just pray and leave it and just a little pop conversation. It is, it is the term that is used here is a passionate appeal to God. And we don't have time, we could preach the rest of the year on prayer. We don't have time to go into praying according to God's will and knowing God's will and all of those things. But he says here that we are to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, keeping alert. The idea is praying with your eyes open, have an alertness. You see something happen. Do we pray about it or do we say, oh me, oh my, did you see what happened here? Do we pray about it? It is, it is that passion for prayer and, and that purpose in prayer that will be the initial part of us redeeming the time. We won't have the wisdom, we won't have the power to redeem the time unless we are people of prayer. And, and it is so important. And he begins with this. Continue earnestly in prayer. Um, prayer is not to get God to see things our way, but rather to get us to see things His way. It's not to change God's heart. It's to change our heart. He's the one that's perfect in all His ways. He is the one that knows everything. And as we go to Him, we line up with Him. When, when you tune a piano, you don't change the tuning mechanism to get in line with the piano because the tuning mechanism is right. It's established. It's the standard. We change the piano and adjust the strings to bring it in line with that which is perfect. And in prayer, it's adjusting our hearts to be in line with God. So see, we battle with doubt. Do we take it to God in prayer? We battle with worry. Do we take it to God in prayer? I was visiting uh, with, with a lady doing business this week, and, and I know her to be a believer, and I don't even remember how the topic came up. I guess it probably was... Um, the price of gas and all of that somehow came up and 
and the things going on in the world. And, and she said, I know, I know I'm not supposed to be, be one that worries, but how do you not worry in the world that we live in? Well, one thing that we need to do is go to God in prayer. Confess, God, I am prone to worry right now, and this is what I'm worried about, and I'm trusting You. You are my Father. You are my Shepherd. I can trust You to lead me, and I'm resting in Your care. We go to Him for that. We go outside and see, especially in the spring, all the beauty. Do we just say, man, God, thank You for this? How many of you saw the sunset last night? Gorgeous, wasn't it? We were, we were outside and saw that, and, and Marilyn said, get, get that song and we shall behold him on. So we're sitting out on our, on our patio there, and we bring up that song, The Skies Will Unfold. And man, just sitting there listening to that, and, and I'm thinking, whoa, wouldn't it be great tonight that we would behold him? I'm telling the Lord continually, this would be a perfect time, Lord, to come. Look at that sunset. This would be wonderful. But God's ways are perfect. And, and yet at the same time, do we go to God? Do we talk to God? Do we fellowship with Him? I mean, it needs to begin. To redeem the time, pray. And then he says, praying earnestly, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I'm not going to tarry long, but we need to learn to be thankful people. The more people see themselves as a victim, the less gratitude they have. And there are five times in this short book of Colossians that Paul told them to be thankful. Now, why did he do that? Because he knows as people were prone to gripe. You see, it's going to hit 100 degrees this week. Well, wait till your air conditioner quits. Then you'll really be griping, right? But I mean, we as believers, number one, are the most blessed people on the earth. Number two, living in the land that we live in. And number three, living in southern Iowa. You know, don't let other people know this is a good place, all right? But the reality is, regardless of what goes on, are you known as a thankful person? God despises complaining. Read what He did to the children of Israel. God has no time in His agenda for a murmuring, complaining. And if we want to redeem the time, don't waste a minute in, in complaining. You will invest by giving thanks. And, and that's what He says. Regardless of our circumstances, we can always rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We can rejoice that... Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can rejoice that He is my shepherd, that He is always the same, that He is in control. On and on. But be thankful. Then notice what He says in, in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. So, first of all, talk to God. Second, give thanks. Number three, walk the walk. What he's saying is, walk in wisdom, and in particular, because you are around people that don't know Christ, and you want to walk in such a way that it will help draw them to Christ. We'll, we'll touch on it more in a little bit, but um, 
Paul's burden was for people that don't know Christ. And he says, so don't you provide them a stumbling block by your inconsistent walk with the Lord, by your hypocritical living. It's easy to talk the talk, but he says, I want you to walk the walk. Someone has said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Basically, he's saying, people see your life much more than they hear your word. And it, it, it means it in the home. That's where it begins. And, and he's building on everything he said last week about the home. And he says, make sure you walk the walk. Walk in wisdom. Seeing things from God's perspective. Now, keep in mind, Paul's writing to these Christians who were often viewed with suspicion and distrust and disdain. They were often, these Christians were often considered atheists because they would not worship the gods of Rome and Greece. So they would be accused of being atheists. They were often seen as unpatriotic because they would not burn incense to the ruler or to the image of the emperor. They were also seen as cannibals because people heard that they ate and drank the body of the Lord in taking communion. So, they're viewed as atheists. They're viewed as unpatriotic cannibals. And, and Paul didn't say, man, we've got it bad living in this day. He says, no, you go out and walk in wisdom and you show them by your life that you are a better person. You are a benefit to the community. You have a life that is worthy to be around. You have a life that they would enjoy being a neighbor to, that they would enjoy hiring you, that you have something worthy. And so he's saying, here it is. Here's the atmosphere outside, people that don't know Christ. But he said, you go walk in such a manner that it shows a difference. It's important for the misunderstandings and the confusions and the accusations to be dispelled by our lives. And that takes time. That takes consistency. That takes a walk with God. And so he says, walk the walk. Walk in wisdom to them who are without, redeeming the time. And where the walk will really show up is in your talk to others. So to redeem the time, we talk to God, we give thanks, we walk the Christian life, and we manifest the difference in our life in our talk to others. Notice what he says, verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. So it's talking to others in such a manner that it brings glory to God. But we skipped over verses 3 and 4. But let me go back. He says, I want you praying for us, what? That God would get us out of prison. No, that God would open to us the door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So, Paul's burden, he says, pray for us that a door of opportunity would be open to us to speak the truth of God. His burden was for others. His burden was for those 
that are without. Ask for open doors. Open doors are very, very important for us to seek God in. Every day, every day as a believer, we ought to get up and we ought to say, commit our day to God. We ought to say, God, I want you to open doors for me today to represent you. To open doors for me today to represent you. You know what? I can, I can come over here and I can say, God, open doors for me today. God, open doors for me today. But it also involves some effort on my part. God has removed the locks on this door, and it's up to me to push the door to open it. We, we want God to do all the work. Open the door, drag us in, open our mouths and help us say something that we've never prepared, that we've never thought about, that, that we've never invested in. Now, it's important for us to seek God in, in asking Him to open doors, but it's important for us to understand I need to know my part in this part of what He's given me as co-laborers together with Him. So He's saying, walk the walk, live the life, live in such a, a godly manner that those that don't know Christ can see a difference in your life and that you understand the power that God has given you through the words of your mouth. Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I mean, the most, the most dangerous and powerful instrument on the face of the earth today is our tongue. It can minister life or it can bring death. You are here today, and if I were to ask you today, what has someone said to you that that hurt your heart and and brought sorrow to your heart? The vast majority of people here today could remember something that was said to them, and it may go back 50, 60, 70 years ago that it was said, and you still remember it today. Why? The power of death is in the tongue. And at the same time, the power of life. If you're here today as a believer, somebody brought to you the message of the gospel, and probably over and over again. And, and that's the power of life. But there's also been times in your life that there has been individuals that have said a word, said something to you, and they maybe didn't even notice that it made a difference in your life, and, and yet it provided encouragement to you to, to take the next step, to go on. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so he says... God's put us here to live the life, walk the walk, and then to be a witness, you have to talk. And he says, let your speech be always with grace. He means in an attractive, winsome manner, uh, speech that is delightful, speech that is courteous, speech that is helpful, speech that is encouraging. And that will be a difference to those that are in the world. It's the speech that is opposite of that mentioned in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, he says, Out of your mouth proceed evil communications and grumbling and, and angry words and so on. He says, No, that is, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt. I mean, in, in simple little manners. Someone said, if only Christ, 
Christians could speak with grace as well as they seem to speak with gossip, what a difference it would make. And you know, it's speaking with grace. It's, it's providing encouragement, being an encourager. I mean, look for ways to make someone's day. And, and in doing it, um, simple little ways to provide encouragement. This is, if Christ is all, like Colossians says, if He is everything, then it should be reflected in our speech. You know, you've all been there. You've, you're dealing with someone on the phone and setting up an appointment or something. And, and you've had the ones that are just... You wonder if you're talking to a computer or not. If it's dun 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 dun, you know, and you don't. It's just blah. Okay. Then you get those that are blah and incompetent on top of it. All right. So Friday, I'd left a message, and this business called back to set up an appointment, and and the gal on the other end, honestly, it um, it. Re- she reminded me of my wife because we tease Marilyn about she gets on the phone with someone and how's the weather down there where you are? Where are you? You know, and 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 this gal had life. She she didn't go according to the pattern. You know, she says she said to me, is it sunny where you're at? And I thought, is this Marilyn on the phone? You know, <laughs> and. And I said, no, it's mostly cloudy, but it's not raining here. I said, where are you? She said, I'm in Keokuk, down in the far southern corner. I said, yeah, I know where it is. And she said, man, it's Friday. I'm tired and cloudy days. Just that Friday afternoon, I'm down. I said, well, I couldn't tell it in the way you were talking. And, and she was full of life. And we got the appointment set up and everything taken care of. And I just, God prompted me, and I just said, hey, before we leave, I just want to say, you are doing a great job with what you do. And you made, on this end, feel like we're a real person, and you're interested. And I said, go tell your boss that someone said you need a raise, okay? And she said, wow, you just made my day. And I thought, how simple is that? If we obey the Spirit, Are you quicker to complain or quicker to praise that which is good? You know, most of us are quicker to complain. Someone can do well, and then it's not so well, and then we complain. But the times they've done well, he says, we ought to praise that which is good. And that's a speech with grace. I mean, anymore, you go to a business and there's someone there to help you, you ought to you ought to say, hey, I'm glad you're working. There are businesses now that have cut their hours that have shut down because they can't get people to work. This last year, I've I've said enough not graceful words in my life about referees. But this last year, I came to see. They told us that last year they had 287 soccer referees. This year they had 187, and I can see why people don't want to do it. So God just prompted me, you better be thankful that there's referees. So you need to go up and say, hey, guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. We appreciate you being here. And they don't need to hear from me, you know. 
What would it be like if they were here and I'm preaching, hey, you just stuttered right there, don't stutter next time. And hey, that was the wrong verse. That was that was verse five, not verse six. Come on, get with us. How would you like people doing that to your job? You say some of you are saying, I have that. My boss is always that way, right? But see, we as believers ought to be full of grace. Look how graciously God has dealt with us. We have every reason for God to just hammer us as a post into the ground. But He's so gracious with us. Be an encourager. So He says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Salt preserves. Salt purifies. Salt enhances the flavor. And that's exactly what truth does. So to redeem the time, we need to speak, talk to others with grace and with truth. They tell us that if you took a ton of water from the Atlantic Ocean and evaporated it down, you would have 81 pounds of salt. If you took a ton of water from the Pacific Ocean, you would have 97 pounds of salt salt in the water. It's 97 pounds of salt. If you took the Dead Sea, you would have 500 pounds of salt from one ton of water. I used to think all the ocean had the same amount of salt. There's different amounts of salt in all the salt waters around the world. There are different amounts of salt in Christians too. And being gracious doesn't mean you deny the truth or hide the truth. Sometimes you speak the truth and it's like salt in a wound. Salt burns and, and yet it cleanses and purifies. And sometimes we're called to speak the truth and it may sting. But make sure you're speaking the truth graciously and in love. Speaking the truth preserves truth helps preserve a community and a culture and, and establish it. So ask yourself, are you the kind of person that enhances the lives around you? You know, if, if you've been a businessman at all or dealt with people, there's certain people you hear the door ding open, you know someone's coming in, and you look up and there's certain people that you think, oh, brother. I hope they go to someone else, or I've got something else to do. You do not want to see them. There are others that when they come in, you, you are eager to see them. They handle conflict well. They're pleasant. What kind of person are you? Are you the ding, oh brother? Or are you the type of person that they say, even if there's a problem, this will be all right, this will be good. They're good to be around. Are you the kind of person who enhances the lives of those around you? Is your conversation pure? See, salt purifies. And as an individual, there are certain conversations that you get into, and before you know it, it's going the wrong direction. Do you manifest in a proper manner? Eh, that. That's not as funny to me as it is to you. Do you purify? Do you bring a good spirit? Do you keep your promises? Are you characterized by being an encourager? See, the world and the people around are watching and they're listening. And Jesus said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. 
but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. If the church, if Christians have lost their saltiness, it's to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You want to know what's happening in our society today? We say people don't have respect for Christianity. People don't have respect for church. We've lost our saltiness. We're not showing a difference. We're cast out. And Christianity is trodden under the foot of men. Ah, that, that doesn't do anything. So Paul says, to redeem the time, you need to talk to God and make that a way of life. You need to give thanks. You need to walk the walk. And you need to talk to others with grace and truth, with grace and saltiness. See, as a new man in Christ, Paul is saying, Christ is all. He established that in the first part of Colossians. As a new man in Christ, my priorities should change. I should value time. I should look for opportunities to point people to Christ. And my speech should reflect my priority that it's Christ. All of those things are the result of Christ being our life. And to not come to the end of your life and, and look at it as a wasted life, we need to redeem the time. I heard a man the other day say, in my mind, I, as a believer, I view it as someday I'm going to meet up with the man I could have been and I'm going to be measured by the man I was. He said, I want those two men to be the same. To redeem the time. And to redeem the time, Paul in these passages gave a simple, meaning not complicated, simple ways. They aren't, they aren't easy, but through the power of God, so that our life is not lived in vain. Heavenly Father, I pray that Your Spirit would bring home the truths of this passage to each and every one of us in our lives. And Lord, that we would count our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, that we would redeem the time as believers by just walking with You and talking with You, that we would be filled with thanksgiving. And Lord, that we really would live the Christian life that it be born out of our lives and it would be manifested in our speech, that we manifest grace, that we're gracious people, reflecting how gracious You've been to us. And, and yet, Lord, that we would speak the truth and that You would use the truth to draw others to You. So, Lord, we plead Your mercies. We plead Your help. Lord, we pray if there are individuals here who have never come to You initially for the forgiveness of sins, I pray Your Spirit would draw them even today and they would respond to Your call. So Lord, we know that we are unworthy. And yet we know that You dwell within us and You empower us to live a life that would point others to You.